What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, my route to the television business is uh, kind of a funny one, I think. I grew up uh, as a kid in uh, Rockford, Illinois, out in the middle of what I affectionately refer to as the cornfields. And I watched TV like crazy, like every kid did. But I was really, really fascinated by the movie business. The boy who grew up in the middle of those cornfields is now the chairman of AT&T's WarnerMedia Entertainment, in charge of a formidable empire that includes HBO. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor, and you're listening to Out of Office. My guest today is Robert Greenblatt. He goes by Bob, one of the most powerful executives in the world of television entertainment. Like many of us, he's working from home these days, but he took some time out to chat with me about a number of things, but not corporate stuff. He updated me on the launch of a new streaming service, HBO Max, scheduled for May. We're really excited to bring this thing to market just exactly when we said we would. So yes, all systems go. The mantra behind his track record, he's known for delivering one TV hit after another. We had to do things nobody else was doing. That, of course, is my guiding principle. Though he does admit there have been some duds. The good news is that people only remember the successes and and the failures way outnumber the successes. He talked about why visibility matters. Diversity has always been important to me. I mean, you know, being gay and, and out immediately, you know, puts me in a position where, you know, I'm unlike many of the people, you know, in the world that I'm working alongside. And his passion for music. The idea of being able to sit on the stage of Radio City Music Hall and play I Will Always Love You with Dolly performing it is really a thrill for a kid from Illinois who couldn't figure out how to get to, you know, Hollywood. A gifted musician, Bob was kind enough to share this clip of him playing the piano. I promise to give you a little more of Bob at the piano at the end of the podcast, but first, here's our conversation. Bob, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. You know, we're all living in unprecedented times. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, we literally are out of office, aren't we? You know, I'm doing great. And it's remarkable what my entire company and staff uh, is able to do at this moment. None of us have experienced anything quite like this before. And people really just rolled with it. And we're in a groove, a new groove and a way of working that... I couldn't have even imagined. At a time like this, you know, people do look to their leaders, to CEOs, to their chairman, to take their cue from them. What kind of message are you hoping to send out to your team? Well, we're trying to be confident and and in, in every way we can calming about the situation, but also not 
unrealistic. And, and I think you have to recognize the gravity of what's going on. This is a big company that I'm fortunate to work for. There are many things this company can do for people. And we are encouraging people to reach out for help. And we're trying to you know, provide certain services for people, counseling services and things like that. You took a decision to make almost 500 hours of HBO programming available for free during the pandemic. And that's great because that's really what people want. Everyone's at home. You want to watch TV. You want to watch your favorite shows. But obviously, there is a financial implication behind that decision. So can you walk me through that decision? We did indeed uh, make a decision to put out 500 hours of HBO programming for free. We just thought this was the right thing to do at this time. Of course, there is some financial implication to that. But um, it just seemed more important to us to do something for the people who are mostly at home and looking for great content. We have the best content in the world. And we thought, let's do some judicious uh, selections of some of our best series. We went to Warner Brothers and they were happy to help in pulling together a number of uh, family-friendly movies. Um, there's some documentaries in this package. It's just something we thought we should do as we see the world um, at this moment. And and we were really, really thrilled to do it and got a great response from, from people who I think really appreciated it. Now, one of the things you're working on, and I'm amazed that you're working on it from home, is the launch of HBO Max. Is it is it still on for me? I'm thrilled to say that, yes, the launch for HBO Max is on track and on target uh, for the end of May. There's nothing more important to this company Everyone's working from home. It's kind of miraculous that it's all being done remotely. But uh, we did have some discussions internally about whether we should consider moving the date, delaying it. Um, lots of conversations went into our ability to actually deliver the product on the date that we were you know, originally targeting. And everyone was really rallying around keeping the trains on the track and getting it out the door on the original date. And it's almost become a bit of a rallying cry for this company. I mean, I'm so proud of everyone and the way that they've just continued to work on this thing, even under these really difficult circumstances. And we're really excited to bring this thing to market just exactly when we said we would. So yes, all systems go. So you've had a long career in the television entertainment industry. You're one of the most prominent executives in the world. I'm curious, what sparked your interest in TV? Well, my route to the television business is uh, kind of a funny one, I think. I grew up uh, as a kid in uh, Rockford, Illinois, out in the middle of what I affectionately refer to as the cornfields. I watched TV like crazy, like every kid did, but I was really, really fascinated by the movie business, even as a teenager. I loved old movies. Of course, when I was a kid, there was no internet, so you couldn't just call up a movie at you know your, your will and watch it whenever you wanted to. We had to see movies on The Late Show, or there was a, um, a second real theater in town, which was a little art house you know, movie theater where they would rent canisters of film you know, from the studios and show classic movies. And I got to see all kinds of movies uh, at the theater in town, um, which was called The Second Reel. So I wanted to be in the movie business. I went, ultimately went to film school 
to do that very thing. I went to the um, the great film school at USC and uh, decided to go into, you know, the movie business. And then it, it was when I met an executive named Peter Chernin, who I went to work for at Lorimar, which was my very first job for Peter. We were doing features at Lorimar. But shortly thereafter, Peter went to the Fox network, the Fox television network, the fourth network, which was brand new at the time, and took me there to work with him. And initially I thought, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go into television. Movies is what I've always wanted to do. And he said to me, first of all, this is virtually a startup company. It will be very exciting to see it get off the ground. And secondly, television moves much faster than the movie business. So don't think twice about it. Just come to the Fox Network. And I did that in 1989. And I never looked back. Tell us a little bit more about Peter, who I know, as you said, has been a mentor of yours for for years. How has he influenced you? While Peter was an extraordinary mentor for me, uh, I really did learn so much from him. And a couple of takeaways um, that have guided my entire life, really, from 30 years ago now. But um, Peter really uh, was a proponent of doing things that were bold and original and that nobody else was doing. It really is a guiding principle for him, and it became a guiding principle for me. Now, the shows that really put Fox on the map and basically changed the trajectory of that company are indeed that very thing. The Simpsons primetime animation had not been done in decades. Um, The show is still on the air. I mean, it's one of the most remarkable milestones in the television business. Peter put that show on the air about a year after we got there. 90210, which was the beginning of a whole new genre of television. People think that there were soap operas built around young characters forever. There weren't. There was nothing like that up up till that moment. And the third show, which was defining, was In Living Color which was variety and sketch. Now, there had not been variety sketch in primetime in years either. And the, the, in addition to that, it was focusing on a whole new diversity, African-Americans. The most successful things that I've been involved in have been completely unique. And that is something I learned um, from Peter Chernin. And it really not only guides my life, but all the people that I you know, come in contact with on these various jobs. You're also passionate about theater. I know that you've invested in Hamilton. You've been responsible for putting musicals such as The Sound of Music uh, onto television. You know, what draws you to theater? Theater was the thing in Rockford, Illinois, that I could do easily. You know, there was no film business and no television business, but theater was, was available to me. And it was mostly just community theater. I got very involved in theater as a kid. I'm also a musician, so I play the piano and I was very involved in musicals, um, playing in orchestras. I was never on stage as an actor, but I was behind the scenes or in the orchestra. And theater has been near and dear to my heart since I was a kid, and I have a theater degree also. And I always thought I would go into the Broadway theater for my career. That's where I was headed, Um, not thinking I could ever figure out how to get into the movie or TV business. And, you know, luckily I, I was able to do that, and theater was put off. But then later in life, I decided to start investing in theater and then actually producing um, myself when I could in between these other jobs that I've had, which are, you know, time consuming. 
believe you bought your piano, which is an 1898 Steinway Grand at the age of 20. Yes, you've been doing very good homework on me. <laughs> I, I also read you kept it in your office when you were at NBC. Is that right? Did I did? Where's it? Where's it now? Well, it's now in my. It's back in my living room here in LA. But um, I, it's going to move to my New York apartment, which is in the process of being renovated and unfortunately was stopped. It's going to go there. It's it's a piano very close to my heart because I bought it when I was you know twenty. When I was a kid. I went to Disneyland. I'll tell you the story quickly. At Disneyland and Disney World, they have replicas of Walt Disney's office, and he had a piano in his office, and so it's there. They did they recreated his his whole setup. And I always thought, wow, what a thrill it would be to have a piano in your office. And of course, we know that's where the Sherman Brothers came to play songs from Mary Poppins for him and so I thought that is a really romantic notion for me. So when I got to NBC and I had an office big enough, I decided to bring the the Steinway there. I actually have two other grand pianos, so um, I had enough to go around. But it's really fun to have a piano in your office. Did you get to play it? I did. I played it a few times. Um, I never wanted to bother people um, on the floor, but um, I don't think they would have minded. Well, sometimes, yeah. I mean, um, people people said that, but they were very, being very nice. But sometimes when when musical people would come in, like you know, Kristen Chenoweth or Jennifer Lopez, you know, we would, um, I would play and, um, yeah, it's really fun to have it. And, and I then ended up doing all those musicals at NBC. So it made sense that I had it too. And it's just a, a personal thing. And, and I really enjoy, um, having a, a piano available to me. I don't know how many people get to say that, that I have a piano and JLo would come in and we just sort of jam on the piano in the office. <laughs> Well, we did completely out of left field, but, you know, the, you know, became close with Dolly Parton because I produced on Broadway 9 to 5, the musical, which was the, the Broadway musical version of the movie. And a couple of years ago at NBC, when we were doing the upfront, we were doing some movies with Dolly and I brought her out on stage um, at Radio City Music Hall and we choreographed this whole thing ahead of time. But I made it seem like I just spontaneously wanted her to sing a song to the audience, which went wild, of course. Out came a big grand piano, and I sat at the piano and accompanied her, which was really a joy. And it's something that we would do at my house when we would work on 9 to 5. So it wasn't completely out of left field. But, you know, the idea of being able to sit on the stage of Radio City Music Hall and play I Will Always Love You with Dolly performing it, um, Amazing! It's really a thrill for a kid from Illinois who couldn't figure out how to get to, you know, Hollywood. Oh, that's what an amazing story. And I know Dolly Parton has become a good friend. And in 2011, when she presented you with the Glad Media Award, you know, she said some really beautiful things. But the one line that really stood out for me is when she said, Anyway, I am so proud of Bob because he's always used his position in the entertainment business to push back the barriers that work against dignity of gay men and women. So that was, you know, almost 10 years ago. Do you think the entertainment industry today is inclusive enough? Well, nothing makes me happier than to talk about Dolly Parton. Uh, She is a good friend, as you say. Uh, We worked together very, very closely when I produced the musical 9 to 5 on Broadway about 10 years ago now and developing that and getting that to Broadway 
um, we were working on, you know, working on it for probably three or four years prior to getting to Broadway, if not longer. But Dolly is a, a dear, dear friend, and everything you've ever heard about her is true. To know her is to love her. She's one of the most generous, big-hearted people on the planet. And she said some lovely things to me. You're you're right when she presented me with the GLAAD Award. Um, diversity has always been important to me. I mean, you know, being gay and, and out immediately, you know, puts me in a position where, you know, I'm unlike many of the people you know, in the world that I'm working alongside. And I started advocating for those kinds of characters uh, early on in my career. I also have ha- always had um, executive groups that were diverse, women, other diversities. And when writers and producers come in to pitch shows to us and you're looking at the executives, you're not looking at a sea of white male faces. It really is representative of the world. And so if you're a producer or a writer coming into pitch, you can't sit in front of a group of diverse executives and pitch a show with five or six white characters. It just is almost impossible these days. And, um, you know, I'm very proud of the record that I have in this area. And of course you can always do better and and I'm always trying to do better. Um, but, but very proud of what I've accomplished. And, um, you know, if, if people think that what Dolly said about me, is true, then, you know, that makes me um, extraordinarily grateful. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. I want to go back to your childhood very quickly. I know you studied fine arts as a student, and then, of course, you went on to study film. I'm I'm fascinated because it's not like you had an obvious artistic influence from your family. Your mom was a travel agent, I believe, and your dad worked in air conditioning and cooling systems. So there's deep passion for theater, for fine arts, for movies. How did that come about? Were your parents interested in it, even though they didn't do it professionally? I guess the the quick answer is no. But if you dig a little bit below the surface, they were. Um, My dad, who was an engineer... Um, and designed heating and air conditioning systems all his life. He And he wasn't a musical person, but he loves and later pursued, he took guitar lessons and then he taught himself how to play the drum and the drums. And he's pursued all these musical things, which at first glance were not there when I was a kid. And my mom had exposed me to theater when I was a kid because she loved to go to the theater. And so they were very encouraging of any of us kids, there were three of us, doing whatever we wanted. And when I displayed some early interest in theater um, or music, they were the first persons to say, let's get you music lessons if you want. And of course, they took me and, you know, I was involved in a lot of theater and they would drive me and made sure I was, you know, safe and protected and all that. But they were very big advocates of do what you want to do and, you know, we'll help you. So they were really supportive. 
I'm the I'm the kid in the family, and I, everybody loves that I'm you know involved in show business and know famous people. I'm not sure they quite uh-huh. know exactly what I do because these careers are a little <laughs> bit mysterious on the outside. But I think they all get a kick out of it. And you know, my parents come to L.A. every year and spend some time in Palm Springs at my house there, and they're very very proud. Um, but you know, it's not a family of of musicians or, you know, people or artists. I just happen to have pursued this path for some reason. So you're credited with orchestrating a massive turnaround at NBC Entertainment while you were while you were heading it up. And it went from being really at the back of the pack to number one. Looking back, what do you think is the one strategy that worked? Well, for me, the great story of turning NBC around is that most people thought it was virtually impossible. When I was at Showtime, and Showtime was doing extremely well, and I left to go to NBC, which was doing very poorly, last place, in fact, where it had been for, I think, almost 10 years, 10 straight years, people couldn't imagine what I was doing. Like, why would I leave Showtime um, on a high to go to NBC? And, of course, I'm known for liking a challenge. So this was a challenge that I really was excited about. And once again, I, you know, went back to my basics uh, of learning from Peter Chernin and I applied it. And the, the simplicity of it is that we had to deliver shows. It's, it's this simple. We had to deliver shows and many of them uh, on a broadcast network schedule that were just simply undeniable and and great and we had to do things nobody else was doing that of course is my guiding principle i knew that we couldn't reinvent every single show in in the world and and that we had to go into established genres like sitcoms and dramas and reality shows but we had to make them in a way that were undeniably great and i think we accomplished that in many ways People must come to you with scripts and show ideas all the time. And when you decide which one to back, how do you know which one is likely to be a winner? Is it just gut instinct or what are you looking for? It's gut instinct. I really wish I had a a great answer or a formula or a list of criteria that we look for and and they just magically come together. It's having a, a writer with an extraordinary vision somebody who really has something to say and you know you have to then sort of get out of the way and let them do it and um it really is gut instinct now we have lots of other tools we have research and you know we can we can do a bunch of things to reinforce what we believe but it's it's really your gut and having just great other people in the mix with you who are making these decisions have you ever backed a show that hasn't been successful or, um, you know, that's turned out to be a bit of a, a dud? There are so many of those. Um, <laughs> the good news is that people only remember the successes and, and the failures way outnumber the successes. So I'm curious, yeah, how do you deal with failure? You just have to move on. And failure, you have to be comfortable failing and Everybody has to be okay to fail because I think um, that's where you learn. You know, there's not much you can do about it. You, that doesn't mean you don't feel badly when something doesn't work that you loved. 
like a show called Smash, which is really dear to my heart, which only went two seasons at NBC. And I don't think it was a failure, although we couldn't drive enough audience to it at the time. But you learn from failure and you just have to know that 80% of of what you do is going to fail anyway, good and bad. But I've put some terrible, terrible shows on the air (laughs) over the years. And thankfully, you probably don't remember any of them. You're around the one-year mark in your new role at WarnerMedia. What are you proudest of? Well, I'm proudest of the fact that in in virtually one year, we have gotten HBO Max to a place of almost the very beginning to being out the door. That is a you know Herculean task. Not only was a technical structure built for it, but a whole strata of content and a go-to-market strategy and you know we had to we had to build what it is it it didn't exist except the idea of bundling hbo with something broader and i'm really proud of the fact that hundreds of people came together very quickly and have figured it out and that the last two months of it have been done virtually from home that to me is just truly remarkable That was Bob Greenblatt, chairman of Warner Media Entertainment. I hope you enjoyed listening to our chat as much as I truly enjoyed recording it. Thank you for listening to Out of Office. And remember, you can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Bloomberg Terminal, or Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter. Our handle is simply at podcasts. This episode was produced by Laura Carlson. Stay well, stay safe. I'll connect with you next week. I'm Malika Kapoor, and I'll leave you now with Bob Greenblatt on the piano. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.